If you've got your Bibles today, go ahead and grab them. We will be in Luke chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's all right. Um, if, you're follow, if you'd like to follow along exactly how I am, this is the Bible I'm using, just like the Pew Bible. Page 856 is where we will be this morning. Um, I hope that this being Christmas, right? Merry Christmas. That's the like, last time we get to say that to you, everybody until Christmas Eve, right? Um, I hope you've enjoyed this series. I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about Santa Claus and, and who he was. Um, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've, I wasn't surprised to learn that uh, the tradition of Santa Claus, this, this image that we have in our minds, isn't quite real. As Santa Claus was much skinnier. It didn't surprise me at all to find out that his legend began by him giving gifts of money to three young ladies and saving essentially their lives. But I was surprised when I began to read a little bit more that, that Santa Claus used to be Nicholas of Myra, and he was, in fact, quite skinny. And some of the stories we have about him are quite crazy, that he went about casting out demons and breaking down idols and, and preaching the gospel and baptizing people who were lost and building churches. And his mission and ministry was to declare the reign of Jesus Christ. So deeply tied was his devotion to Christ to the memory of him that later on stories began to arise about him showing up at the Council of Nicaea and knocking someone upside the head for blaspheming the name of Christ like we talked about last week. This morning I want to tell you the last story that I'm going to tell about Nicholas of Myra and it is probably um, the most adult story that I can think to tell. So, uh, as we said, Nicholas of Myra was here. This is the region of Myra. And this region right here was ruled, as you might remember, by Rome at the time. And there was a heavy tax burden, very heavy, so heavy, in fact, that it concerned Nicholas, who was a bishop, was leading the church. He was concerned about people's lives. It was tearing them down. And so he left his area here in Myra and he traveled to meet with Emperor Constantine. And he met with Emperor Constantine. And so convincing was Nicholas's argument, so righteous his character, so stalwart his defense of the needs of his people that Constantine relented and gave him a royal decree that alleviated the tax burden of his region. But Nicholas was shrewd. And he knew that anyone in power gets a little weird when it comes to money. And it is very likely that the emperor would change his mind the next morning. So Nicholas shrewdly went down to the beach that night and took the, the, uh, took the edict and cast it to the, into the sea. Whereupon the miracle. For the edict traveled all the way from Rome overnight and landed on the beach in Myra where a city official happened to be walking by and he scooped it up and immediately, finding the emperor's seal on it and knowing that the taxes had been alleviated, he gave it to everyone and the tax burden was alleviated and true to form. The next morning, Constantine had indeed changed his mind and called Nicholas in and said, hey, remember that thing I gave you last night? And Nicholas says, yeah, I threw it in the ocean. And so Nicholas saved the day by alleviating the tax burden of the people of Myra. The most adult story I could think of. If my daughter was here, she would have, I don't know, laid over and died. Every time I bring up taxes, she loses her mind. But I have to complain about taxes, right? 
Can I get a witness, anyone, please? Right? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, less or more. We're going to complain about it, right? And I love how mundane that story is. Like, when you think about the stories that you want to tell over and over and over again, do you want to tell the story over and over and over again? Pass it down from generation to generation. For a thousand years, the story of Nicholas alleviating taxes. But if you cut a check or you're poor, isn't that, isn't that how our lives are like? How many of you have ever had, maybe even right now, just a bill or a debt and that thing is just weighing on you. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, we know what that's like. And Nicholas's concern wasn't just toys and trinkets for good girls and boys. His concern was about justice. His concern was about the needs of the people. His concern was about the fact that these power structures were imposing their will upon these people and harming them. Nicholas's concern was for both the spiritual well-being of his people and the physical well-being of his people. Because if you do not have both, you do not have peace. And if you do not advocate for both, you do not have Jesus. Because this is built into the story of Jesus. It's built into the hopes of all the world. That someday, at some point, and sometime, we will see the mighty fall and the least lifted up. And if you're mighty, you hate that message, and you kill and crucify to protect it. Or, if you are weak and lowly, that sounds like good news. Which is why when Jesus walked the earth, he was a sword that drove right through it, to the left and to the right. And so we remember these stories. We remember Jesus. We remember Santa Claus. But especially, I want to turn our attention now, thinking about all of this toward, toward the story of Mary particularly. Because Mary sings a song. It's called, um, often called, because of the long tradition of Latin phrases and the use of Latin in the Christian tradition, we call it the Magnificat which is the Latin word for to magnify, something to magnify something. And Mary begins her song this way. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Right? There you go, Magnificat. There's your uh, Jeopardy thing for the day. <laughs> so let's, let's set the stage here. How's this begin? Elizabeth, Mary's older barren cousin, is miraculously pregnant, and she's bearing forth John the Baptist, the forerunner, who will make the straight paths for the Lord, for Jesus to come. And Mary, who is bearing not only a... She's not only unwed, technically, and... Bearing a baby at a very young age, she's bearing the hope of all the world. No pressure. Remember what the angel said? The angel said this. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean... I'm scared about potty training, right? <laughs> right? I mean, like, I was intimidated that there was just a kid coming. Mary's dealing with this. And she shows up, and you might remember the story, the, the baby in, in uh, Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy when, she hear, when he hears Mary's voice, and there's this inter-exchange between them of great love. But what I want you to hear as we look at this is the very particular nature 
of this promise. Do you see the words that are used here? If you don't know your Bible, if you're new to church, this is the weirdest thing you've heard today, maybe. I don't know, some of those songs had weird lyrics in them too. Because what, Jacob, who's Jacob? David, who's David? Which throne are we talking about, right? All this stuff is tying us back to the promises of the prophets. It's tying us back to God who spoke first to Abraham, who has walked through the ages with his people. Please, what I'm trying to say to you is that we do not understand who we are in Christ if we don't understand who we are in Israel too. We need to understand the whole of the story. And that is what God is doing here. He is now fulfilling all the things that he said he was going to do. He's beginning the process of bringing deliverance into the world. And so Mary begins to sing. And she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away Empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoke as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the song of Mary, but notice who the star is in Mary's song. It's God. God is the one who is to be magnified. God is the one who has looked upon uh, the humble estate of his servant. It's God who is mighty. It's God who stretched out his arm. It's God who is holy. It's God who is merciful. It's God who has brought down the mighty. It's God who's lifted up the weak. And it's God who's filled the hungry. God is the star of all of this. Mary magnifies his name for it. But Mary teaches us something about who God is. And she teaches us something about what God wants. They used to say the purpose or the chief end of man is to worship God or to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As non-credal as I am, that's not far off the mark, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And yet Mary has some very particular ideas about what God is doing in history through Jesus. And she leans, as it were, upon texts from the past. In fact, there's all kinds of echoes that are appearing in this text. If we were raised Jewish, we probably would have heard or heard it right away, but because most of us weren't, um, we might miss it. But there are some several things that are happening here. This is, in fact, echoing back towards Hannah's song. You might remember Hannah way back in 1 Samuel. She also was barren, and she also called out to God, and God also gave her a miraculous pregnancy. And you might remember that she also sang a song, and she also prayed, and she said this, My heart exalts in the Lord. This word exalts is the same word as magnify, right? It's the same thing. My heart magnifies the Lord, Hannah says. Why? Because he has done something for her. He has given her a child. And you might remember who that child is. That child will be Samuel. And who will Samuel be? Samuel will grow up to become a prophet, a priest, and a judge, right? 
Remember that? The last of the great judges. A prophet, a priest, and a judge. And you might recall something about Jesus, and that is that we call him what? Our prophet, our priest, and our king. Our prophet, our priest, our judge. He's hearkening back. This song is telling us to remember how God has worked in the past so that we can recognize his action here in this moment. In fact, uh, in fact, Hannah goes on when she begins to sing even more. She says this, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. If you've ever sought, sat with the poor or felt that you were in the dust or needed to be lifted up, the idea of sitting with princes is beautiful, isn't it? He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail, but what? What did Mary say? By the strength of the arm of God. Do you hear the echoes that are happening in Mary's song that are following back and following on to Hannah's song? In fact, it's even reiterated again. So we have, uh, we have Hannah's song here. He lifts, raises up the poor, lifts up the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the ash heap. And then we have another thing in Psalm 113. He raises up the poor from the dust and lifts up. So this is a song, right? This is what they would have sung, just like we sang. In fact, this is one of the songs that forms the halal portion of the Passover meal, which means that every year before they began Passover, they sang this psalm, they sang this line, which means that every Jew that is hearing Mary's song, because Mary says what? He's brought down the mighty from the thrones, exalted those with humble estate, filled the hunger. I mean, you hear the echoes that are happening here. What Scripture is trying to remind us of is this, that God has been acting in miraculous and powerful and unexpected ways by reaching down into the places we least expect, into the people we least expect, to draw forth from it deliverance, hope, to make people who are merciful and kind, to make people who worship God and love one another, to make people who will not give in to outrage and hate and fear and anger and people who will imagine the best of their neighbors and who will hope for the best in one another and all of the things that we are all desperate for other people to do for us, we must do for one another. And God is driving us to see this, to see that his heart is for those who have been most downtrodden And to call us to love like he loves. Mary's song is not a song of sentimentality. This is not a Hallmark moment. Those movies that they have on Hallmark couldn't be further from Christmas. You can love them. That's fine, Peggy. No judgment. I swear. They're lovely. Right? But Mary's Mary's declaring war. Mary's declaring victory. Mary's declaring power. Mary's declaring God moving and God acting and God lifting up and God knocking down and God doing what God wills. That is what Christmas is about. That is what Mary's song is calling us to see, to hear, to know, and to embrace. This isn't sentimentality. This is God reaching out his mighty arm to lift us up. Will you grab his hand? Will you let him lift you up? And will you use that power to lift up those nearest you rather than cutting them down?
And so I think I learned, <clears throat> and this is my best preacher impression, three things. They all begin with M, right? Give me applause. Come on. Yeah. All begin with M, just like they're supposed to. There we go. Magnify, right? The first thing Mary does, what we call this thing. You know, this song uh, in Christian tradition has been read in the morning, every morning, in some traditions for over a thousand years, this song. That we might remind ourselves over and over and over and over again how wide and deep is the love of God for those who most need it. And so we should be magnifying God. Find a way to do that this week. Let it come from your lips. This is the one time where you can say praise the Lord and not everybody's going to look at you like a weirdo, right? We've been saying this over and over again. Use this opportunity to just glorify God. You don't have to convince people that he exists. You don't have to prove everything is true or right or accurate. You don't have to answer all the questions. What is your task? There you go. Magnify God's name. Make it great. Make it great. Meekness. Isn't it interesting how often this word shows up in Jesus and in the prophets and in Mary and how rarely we can find it in ourselves to embrace it. Because if God is strong and lifting up the weak, what does that mean? It might mean it's better to be weak. Which is probably the least comfortable thing for any of us. The least human thing we could possibly want. But Mary identifies herself here. What does she call herself? She says that God has looked, in verse 48, upon the humble estate of his servant. God looked down and said, I need to enter the world to rescue my people. Where should I go first? And that's where he chose. So if you want God to step into your life, if you want God to make something great of it, if you want God to, to enter into it and to change it and transform it and to use you and to send you on the grand adventures that God has planned for you, maybe the first thing to do is to be meek and to be humble and to listen first and speak last and to do what other people want, to let them choose, to let them lead it's hard for us to do this. It's hard for all of us to do this. But this is why Paul says, make it your work to strive to outdo each other in showing honor. I love that line. I've harped on it for six years and I'm still doing it. And I'll still do it until we start living it. And that is this, outdo each other in showing honor. Find a way to compliment every person as you leave. We don't need more negativity we don't need more insults. We don't need more put-downs. We don't need more critiques and corrections. We need joy. People go to places where there is joy. If people don't come to the place where you are, there's probably not joy. So let's cultivate joy. I remember that being a fruit of the Spirit, right? Let's cultivate it, but we can't cultivate it while we are proud. We can only cultivate it when we are meek. And we will only learn to walk with God when we are meek as well. Lastly is the call for mercy. 
the call for mercy, which is never-ending, which always happens, which always has to be the last word. It always has to be the last word of every sermon because mercy is what we all need. Grace is what we all need. Forgiveness is what we all need. Redemption is what we all need. We are all broken. We are all flawed. We are all in need. And into that need, God speaks, and he speaks in the person of Jesus. And he moves through the person of the Spirit. And the Spirit is moving today, and it is speaking to you today, and it is calling you. It is calling you to recognize his holiness, his purity, and his power, and his great and wonderful design to work in your life if you would humble yourself and submit yourself to him. He will bring both the spiritual and the physical, both which are broken, into unity into peace that we might become a people whole and made for God. As we enter into the busiest probably time of year year this week with the Christmas season, please hold on to that. And if you need prayer or if you need to reach out and grab that hand of Jesus, I will be here. Our elders will be back there and we want to pray with you. You are not alone. I know this is a hard season, so I just want to say that too. Let's stand as we magnify the name of God. Let's live up to the first point. Make it loud. Make the Jehovah Witnesses what we're celebra- wonder what we're celebrating about, right? I always forget. Are they there or there? Which way are they? All right, everybody face that way. Everybody turn that way. Turn that way. We're singing about Jesus. I'm just kidding. Go. I'm done. Who are we?